Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything that you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that's going to effortless unite your in-person and online sales into just one source of truth. You're going to be able to track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. You could connect with customers inline and online. And Shopify, it's going to help you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns. So we're talking about TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business, take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or you can use Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for battle tested solutions. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. I say do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash headspace. That's all lowercase. So you're going to go to shopify.com slash headspace to take your retail business to the next level today. I'm going to say it one more time. Shopify.com slash headspace. Hey there, folks, it's Robin, and I'm popping in to talk to you about clean water because I'm going to be honest, I've been worrying about the contaminants in our tap water, and I knew I had to find a solution, you know, something reliable and effective. And that's when I discovered AquaTrue, and it's been a game changer for my family. AquaTrue's purifiers, they're basically like superheroes for your water, using a four-stage reverse osmosis process to tackle even the toughest contaminants. With PFAS, you know, those pesky forever chemicals making their way into nearly half of U.S. tap water, it is a relief to know that AquaTrue is certified to just kick them to the curb. Plus, their range of purifiers fits every home, from countertop setups to under-sink options. They've even got a Wi-Fi-connected model for the tech-savvy among us. And let's talk about those filters, okay? Long-lasting and affordable, they are a dream come true. There's no more like swapping them out every few months. AquaTrue's filters go the distance and last up to two years. Since switching to AquaTrue, I have noticed a huge difference. The water tastes cleaner, it's fresher, and the best part, I no longer have to worry about what's lurking in my tap water. Even my kids are drinking more water because of the ease of the countertop setup. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. Today, our listeners are going to receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com, that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com, and you're going to enter the code HEADSPACE at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use promo code H-E-A-D-S-P-A-C-E. Go get it. Please note that this week's podcast episode contains discussion about difficult topics like self-harm that may bring up strong emotions for some listeners. If you feel that hearing this content could potentially impact your mental well-being, please skip the third question. Space.
Hi, everyone. Robin here. I am about to be joined by Sam, and I think I can safely speak for her when I say we are incredibly excited to be answering your questions today about how to be still while wanting to check things off that to-do list. Also, which comes first, the thinking or the feeling? And we have an important question about forgiving yourself for past self-destructive behavior. I'm telling you, we have got lots to say about all these topics. Have you ever wished you had a wise meditation teacher on speed dial? Someone you can call after a long day. Someone you could lean on for their advice. Someone to listen and help you to see things differently. Welcome to Dear Headspace, a podcast where I sit with a meditation teacher and we answer your questions. Hi, Sam. Look at us back together again. I mean, we are ready to do one of our favorite things, Gab, and answer listener questions. Yes, yes. I'm so excited. It's been too long. It has. It always feels like too long, even when it was like last week. But that's the beauty, right? Exactly. Exactly. Well, we are starting off with a bang today. I mean, it's not really a bang as much as it is a chicken or the egg type question. So I'm wondering, have I piqued your interest? Ooh, yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I can't wait. Okay. All right. Let's get right to Alessandra's question. All will be revealed. Here we go. Hi, Headspace. My name is Alessandra. I'm originally from Italy. I've been meditating with Headspace for a long time, meditated many, many hours. I have a question. I'd like to know what arises first. Is it thinking or emotion? So do we think of something and then those thoughts stimulate an emotion and the emotion arises? Or do we feel an emotion that arises spontaneously and then that stimulates thoughts related to that emotion? Or is it both? So that's my question. And thank you so much for addressing it. I'm really appreciative. And it's not that important, but I find myself wondering sometimes. Thank you. Ciao, ciao. <laughs> I love the whole the whole vibe of Alessandra. And also, your question is important. So that's that's first and foremost. Any question is important. It is. And it's such a, you know, it sounds like such a simple question, but it's a big question. Um, it is. So big that it's a whole field of study. And researchers have dug really deep into figuring out the nature of emotions, why we have them, what is their purpose, why are they so damn annoying and and hard to <laughs> be with? <laughs> you know, they really are. They're like the crux of our existence. And I'm thinking about this question. I'm thinking about the experience of being in line and being cut like someone cutting the line. Oh. So so if we if we take a step back and we think about what causes an emotion, there's usually according to to researchers and this one that I really like called Magda Arnold. And she looked at the cognitive basis of emotion, like how cognition or thoughts affect the emotion that we feel. Right. And she said that we make these appraisals and they're so quick, they're so spontaneous that we're not consciously aware of them. And the appraisals have to do with kind of asking ourselves or our, our brain makes an assessment like, this is an affront against me. This affects my goals, right? Or it's it's going to harm me or benefit me in some way. And as our brain is making those appraisals, that's what causes an emotion to arise, right? Oh, interesting. So in short, the thinking does cause the feeling? 
The She doesn't call it thinking. She calls it an appraisal. I think in this case, it's helpful to think of it as something so spontaneous. It's not really a conscious thought. Right, right. Right? That's it's an like, important distinction. Yeah. She calls it a sense judgment. Like we're sensing and then making a judgment about what we're sensing happening in our environment. But I was thinking about this whole cutting in line situation. And I'm like, first of all, if one person cuts, it's not really going to interfere with our goal of getting out of the store in a timely manner to a huge extent, right? I mean, we're still going to get out within... I'm already over here like, it's the principle. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's the principle. I've already, I've already gone to the thing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Because so I'm what... so mad on behalf of whoever just cut me right now. I'm like... <laughs> Right, exactly. So you've so your brain interprets it as like this is against me. This is personal. And that's key in why we feel different especially difficult emotions is when we perceive that what's happening in our environment is against us personally and that it interferes with our goals, what we're trying yeah. to achieve, even if it's just getting, you know, out of the grocery store in a timely manner, then it'll evoke a certain emotion. And all that happens so quickly, right? It really does. Yeah. So those are the external things that happen in our lives. You know, someone cutting us off um, on the freeway or, I mean, gosh, we can really name we can go like on for thousands. Days about yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but there are also things that happen within us, stimuli that occur within us that cause emotions, right? So if you have what we call like automatic negative thoughts or intrusive thoughts, Right. And if you have an anxiety disorder or other certain mental health issues, these happen more often. They can hit you so fast and then set off a mood state or a certain emotion that then acts as like a magnet for more thoughts, memories, experiences to kind of gather around that emotion. And then you're kind of in the tornado of rumination because one because of one thought, right? That that yeah, arose yeah. out of nowhere. <laughs> So that's why mindfulness can be so helpful in this regard when it comes to thoughts because, you know, I've had situations where I'm in the car. I don't know if I've mentioned the story before, but I had a mood come over me. And often the trigger is fatigue. And I've read more about mm. this with people with um, who've had a history of depression or anxiety. The feeling of tiredness can trigger a memory of depression. Oh, that's fascinating. Isn't it? So you interpret the fatigue as, oh no, I'm getting depressed. I'm feeling depressed. Because yeah, depression and fatigue go hand in hand often. Exactly. And our brain, it's so important to think about it this way, is as an association machine. Yeah. It, it's constantly making associations between what happened in the past and what happened in the present. And it's also trying to protect you. Yeah. Right? Even though it doesn't seem like it, worry itself or rumination itself kind of in a way tones down the intensity of the immediate emotion you're feeling because it's it's like you're you're telling your brain I'm doing something about this. It might not be right. <laughs> the most right. effective action, but you're doing something. I am right? worrying and now I am fighting, so I am yes. doing something about this. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so it, back to the situation where I'm in the car, I noticed fatigue, I noticed the immediate feeling of oh no, this is depression happening. I'm getting sad. I'm getting like all these negative thoughts are happening. And so I came back to the present moment experience and I started narrating what was happening. I was like, okay, what's going on right now? I'm driving. My foot's on the gas. My hands are on the steering wheel. The sun's pouring in from the window. I feel a breath. 
And what I'm doing by doing that is interrupting the storyline. You're disassociating from that link between the direct sensation of fatigue or the sensations of fatigue and the storyline that that means you're depressed or that you're getting into a mood state that's scary to you. Um, And the reason those links become so tied or so closely tied is because your brain is trying to optimize survival. So a mood state like depression if you think about it, it can lead to isolation. Yep. It can lead to social, your social ties being weakened. So it is it is a survival matter, right? Yeah. To a certain degree, to actually to a large degree. So even just knowing that can help you calm yourself, right? You can say to yourself, oh, brain, you're trying to protect me. I see yeah. that you're trying to protect me and keep me very vigilant about how I'm doing. But right now, this is just what's happening. This is what we know yeah. to be true. We're fact-checking, right? Well, I, I want to ask you one part of, of her question that I found so interesting was she was like, or does it even matter? You know, <laughs> you've been talking about, you know, using mindfulness once you're aware that maybe this assessment has led you into an emotion or like a feeling has led you into feeling like you're depressed. Does it matter or is it like you can use it as a red flag of like either I'm having the thought or I'm having the feeling or it would be good for me to do something about it? Well, I think understanding how the brain works is really important. And the more awareness that you cultivate, the the quicker you are at noticing what happened when it happened. And that in and of itself can be really helpful so that you can start using your tools like reappraisal and reframing and narrating what's happening in the moment and taking deep breaths and connecting with the present moment. Well, I absolutely love your answer. And and Alessandra, no question is a bad question. I just want to remind you of that. Thank you so much for asking that. that. That was a good one. Yeah, thank you. All right. Here is our next question from Jennifer. Hello, dear Headspace. This is Jennifer from Oregon. I'm calling with a question about mental stillness. I find myself interrupted um, in my meditation practice most often by thoughts of the to-do list, which is really just a reflection of what's happening during the day um, when I'm being driven by the to-do list or weighted down by the to-do list. Um, So my question for you is, do you have any tips for managing um, that while also honoring that it is part of my personality that I like to check things off the to-do list and have the decks cleared? Thank you. Listen, Jennifer, you had me at to-do list. As we all know, I have about 14 of them running at any given time across all platforms, all devices, paper and electronic. Very relatable. I want to just call out that I I love that she said, this is part of my personality. Like there's an ownership of it. Like this is who I am. I like to-do lists. I think that's a great place to start to not try to change yourself or fight with that tendency. And when we're practicing, of course, a to-do list comes up, right? Our mind, again, is wired for survival. And our to-do list is part of our survival. It's part of adulting and what keeps us going and what keeps, if you have family members, it keeps them on track. And so if you reframe and say, wow, my to-do list is coming up because I care, because my brain's trying to keep me on track, then it's you kind of let go of the fight. Right off the bat, you let go of the the resistance and the judgment about it. And I think that can be really helpful when you're meditating. And then your mind will get, your mind will naturally stop doing it. 
That's the power yeah. of observing. Really, when we observe and we allow, the mind tires itself out. It just goes through the motions and does it. And then it comes back to your anchor gradually, gently, right? And that can take yeah. some time if you're a beginner. It might not feel so easy or automatic. But the observing piece, that part of the practice is really underdeveloped in a lot of us. We're such doers that it's natural to want to respond to the to-do list happening in your mind with more doing by yeah. suppressing it, pushing it away, wondering why it's happening. So yeah, that's, I think, one of the most helpful things that you can remember is my mind's just doing something. I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch it for a while. But also, I don't talk about this a lot, but like sometimes I'll have a little piece of paper next to me while I'm meditating because sometimes a thought will come up that you don't want to miss. You don't yeah, want to yeah. let go because it's maybe it's a creative idea. Maybe or it's a it's really like, important thing you forgot about. Yeah. Yes. And that happens. That happens a lot. And it's a great side effect of, of meditation. So feel free to just open your eyes, jot it down, and then come back to your meditation. If you're doing that a lot, then it can be too disruptive. But if it happens once in a while and, and you really want to write it down, you know, the way you do it is also important. So you feel the urge and you might want to act on that urge by opening your eyes right away, grabbing the pen, writing it down. Okay, come back. Okay, meditate, 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 right? <laughs> so that's that kind of energy, you know, you can sh you can play with a little bit instead yeah. of like acting on an urge or reacting to an urge. Take a deep breath. You notice the urge. You notice the thought. And then slowly open your eyes, slowly reach for the pen, gently write it down, and then gently come back. And meanwhile, that that whole process, you're still practicing. Right? Yeah, There's, yeah. You're you're practicing being more gentle, being less reactive, being more responsive. Yeah, and slowing down, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. The second part you were saying about the observing it, I find particularly difficult, and especially difficult if you are a to do type person. If you are a person who is like, you know, it's like I feel like that would take a little bit of work. Yeah. Well, one thing you can do is remind yourself, this is only uh, whatever time you set for the meditation. This is only 10 minutes. And this time is, it's it's time for me to be with. It's a very, it's like yeah. reminding yourself that what you're doing is very different than how you usually are in your, you know, how you're running around in your daily life. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully the practice, you know, moves into your routines and into your daily life so that you are doing things with less urgency, less rushing, um, more ease, more, more presence, yeah, right? That's, yeah. that's the, that's one of the goals. But as you're getting used to this way of being, which can feel so different, like you're saying from who you are, your personality, being really gentle with yourself and reminding yourself, this is special time. Yeah, this, is, yeah. this is a unique period of time for me in my day to practice this really new way of being. And you can say that to yourself during the meditation you know, remind yourself of that. Yeah. Yeah. That idea that by practicing, just focusing on this one thing for 10 minutes might help me focus on things one item at a time as I go forward is really compelling to say the least. Exactly. You know, certain mantras or this is where journaling comes in or affirmations that you've created from your own inner knowing, from your discovery of your tendencies, um, can be really helpful. So one of mine, for example, is I refuse to rush. The, the language around it sounds really severe and strict, but it's 
it's helpful to me to say that to go yeah. there. I'm not rushing. I refuse to rush. And that slows me down immediately. It's my cue to slow down, take a breath, remind myself. It's like a cascade has a cascade effect. Yeah. It's like, because I'm not rushing, I can slow down and remind myself that I'll get there when I get there, that I'm doing one thing at a time. So it leads to all these other more helpful thoughts and ways of being, you know? I also say to myself, I can only do one thing at a time. Yeah. I'll say that. Or I'll say, um, what's the other one I use a lot? Oh, when I feel the instinct to like pick up my phone in the car, I'll feel that instinct. Yeah. And I go, and this came from my therapist where she said, you're like, notice when you're about to do too much. Yeah. And picking your phone up in the car and trying to answer texts, first of all, it's very dangerous. <laughs> Please don't, Sam. Um, Please don't. Yeah. No, I don't. I notice the urge. I notice the urge. <laughs> and then I say to myself, that's too much. <laughs> that's too much. Um, <laughs> Sam, that is too much. Yes. I love that. Well, that was some absolutely wonderful, wonderful advice um, for Jennifer and quite possibly for me as well. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, and here is our third question from Jason. And I do just want a, a little reminder here. This is the question where we're going to be talking a little bit about self-harm. So if that is in any way triggering, you are going to want to skip this section of the episode. Hi, my name is Jason. I'm from New York. And during my formative years, I had what I would call a toxic relationship with myself. I used to self-harm and do a lot of self-sabotage behaviors, and it really affected me for a really long time. And so my question is, I feel a lot of guilt and a lot of anger towards my past self, and I can't really put trust in myself with my own body. That doesn't mean that I will engage in these behaviors, but I suppose it is a very negative feeling or aspect. And I was wondering how meditation and self-compassion could help me trust and maybe even forgive myself. Oh, Jason, thank you so much for trusting us with this question. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, when I, when I first think about what Jason shared, I think about the compassion piece and how what what connects me back to compassion yeah. for not just for myself, but for everyone, which is that the knowing, knowing that we're all brought here on this earth, we didn't choose it. Right. 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 We were dropped into a family. Uh, we were dropped in with certain genetic predispositions, with certain tendencies, and we have to continually survive and 
play the cards we're dealt as best we can. And just that in and of itself opens the heart. Yeah. You know, there's this like, this is true. This is very true. And I don't know how old Jason is, but when I think about the things I went through in adolescence Mm -hmm. and how the journey of forgiving myself, it was, it was definitely a journey. It took years and it came from connecting with my inner child, connecting with that deep sense of compassion and love, starting with myself, but, but then branching out to, of course, other people. But when I think about it, I think about the, you know, the adolescent brain and the, the fact that when our brains are developing, you know, we're more impulsive. Mm-hmm. We have a very hard time emotionally regulating because the emotions we're feeling are new. They're intense. Um, and we have to cope. Yeah. And we might not have family members who understand us, which to me is, st- I still have nightmares about that, about my family members saying like, stop crying, yeah. stop feeling like your your feelings don't matter. It's such a scary experience to not feel seen or understood or accepted with all your big emotions. And we all do our best to cope. And self-harm is one of the ways that, you know, when we don't know what to do, it's a coping mechanism. It's, It's like a way of us being or trying to deal with confusion that we feel. We might feel confusion about who we are and why this is happening to us or confusion about the intensity of the emotions. So when you understand all of that, I think it becomes a lot easier to forgive that part of yourself and to forgive yourself completely, you know, because you are doing your best. You're trying to figure out what to do with all of this, with all of these experiences that you're having. So I I just want to say something about coping mechanisms. When When we hear this word coping, we might assume, or coping mechanism, we might assume that anything we mention after is positive, helpful. But there are many coping mechanisms that we use instinctively or automatically that are actually really harmful to us. So I just want to call that out because as we're talking about this, we want to really um, pick apart some of these assumptions that we have that just aren't true. Absolutely. I had a a therapist once who said that when we're younger, we can't blame the people who are raising us because it would be you would be unsafe you would feel unsafe exactly. so we tend to blame ourselves for all the things and and Jason didn't say what their home life was like but if you are dealing with things within your family with your parents or maybe not feeling supportive it it makes sense that you would turn it around internally and like i just mm. one of the things that i always think of is you can't be where you are today without having gone through what you went through. And so I think that part of forgiving yourself is so important. You know, I think we all had things in our past that were like, oh, I wish I hadn't done that as a kid. I wish I hadn't, I wish I hadn't said that, or I wish I hadn't done that. And, you know, what I always say to my kids is all you can do is is clean it up and then move forward. And I think that applies to ourselves as well, is just try to clean it up with ourselves and and then try to move forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think that point that you made around parents and preserving their dignity so that we can survive is so, so powerful. I remember learning that in grad school and going, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. Isn't that brilliant? It's brilliant what your brain does to save yourself. Yes. Because you, if you realize that your parents weren't taking care of things, you would fall apart. I'm constantly fascinated by what we can do to help ourselves and save ourselves. 
Exactly. And to see it at through the lens of survival. Yeah. To really look at everything we do when we don't understand it. When I think of Jason's question, I think about times where memories, remember we talked about these automatic intrusive thoughts. They could be memories about things that you did that were really upsetting yeah. to you. And what we can do in that in those moments is first greet it. Like, you know, put the oxygen mask mm-hmm. on, as we always say. Greet it with compassion. You put a hand on your heart and you go, wow, it's really hard to be having this memory right now. It's really unpleasant or difficult to remember something so painful. That's a moment of compassion, you know, and it also, again, interrupts the rumination cycle of like going down that path of like, oh my God, what does this mean about who I am? I'm a bad person. This might happen again. What if it happens again? What will I do? How will my life be affected? All these what if questions and scenarios are interrupted by this salve of compassion. Like, wow, it's really hard to remember this, isn't it? That can be incredibly helpful to know that you have that skill within you. You have that voice within you. And it it, no one can take it away. It's there. It's it's it'll be there when you need it. And it can greet whatever comes up, like the most disturbing thoughts, the most, you know, it's like bring it on. I'll love you. So again, that takes I've worked with a lot of people teaching self-compassion and I'm always humbled to realize how what a journey it is to develop that. I mean, especially if you're if the way you were raised was pretty harsh or, yeah. you know, tough love as people call it, this kind of like, you know, suck it up. Yeah. You know, dry those tears. Everybody's got problems. We got stuff to Everybody's do. got issues. Yeah. Well, I think we yeah. all often think about forgiving people who've wronged us, but we don't often think about forgiving ourselves. And I think that that's might be some really great work for Jason to start on is I've used the forgiveness meditation in the app multiple times and it's I find it so helpful. I I'd be really interested to try it with myself and and for Jason to try yeah. it with themselves. Exactly. Sometimes people equate forgiveness with um letting go of accountability. Yeah. They think if I forgive myself, I'll no longer be accountable. I'm I'm letting myself off the hook. Right? And that's that feels scary because you want to make sure that you're progressing and acting in ways you feel good about. But remembering that I don't even know if forgiveness is the right word. It's it's like to me the a better word might be integration. Mm. You're integrating the things that you did in the past and you're allowing it to be part of who you are now, part of your story, part of your journey, part of your growth and your understanding of yourself in the world. Part of your growth is also really brilliant because it is, like I said, you can't get where you are today without having lived through that. It's That's part of the path that you walked. Exactly. What I found really helpful when I did training in self-compassion is to make your own affirmations or loving kindness phrases based on what you need. So you do, and we have a practice I developed in the app actually um, as part of the Mindful Parenting Collection. So it's one of the activities you can do where you ask yourself, what do I need or what do I want to hear from someone I love? What do I often want to hear? And for me, when I did this exercise, what came up was I want to hear that I'm loved, that I matter. And that my presence is desired. I often have insecurity. Like, do people like hanging out with me? I don't know. I like hanging out with you, Sam. Mm, I like hanging out with you too. Um, So I started to use that in um, an affirmation. I started to say like, may I remember that I matter? Mm -hmm. May I feel loved? 
May I trust, that's a big word. May I trust that I'm lovable, right? Because sometimes the doubt is overpowering. Yeah. So it's it's great to make your own affirmations based on what you truly want to hear and need, and need to hear as a form of reassurance to yourself. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and again, Jason, we just want to say thank you so much for just trusting us with that question. It really is important. And we do want to say to anyone who is listening, if you are struggling with a mental health condition, please, please, please talk with a licensed provider. And you can also find support resources on the Headspace mental health resource page, which will be in the show notes. And I do also want to say if you or anyone you know is having thoughts of suicide or self-harm, please call or text 988, which is the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. You can also call 911 or go to the nearest emergency room. So we just wanted to make sure to leave you with all of that. Absolutely. So, I mean, Sam, I do have to just say those were all such fantastic questions. I mean, I have said it before. I will say it a million more times that I learned so much from every one of these listener questions. It's so true. They just get better and better. And they're not that we should judge them good or bad. They're all good. And they all lead to calling forth our experience, our knowledge, our wisdom so it's really a gift. I, I see all these questions as a gift to, to us, but also to all of our listeners. And thank you so much for your vulnerability again yeah. and your willingness to share. It's so appreciated. Absolutely. And, you know, before we go, we do have to give a big thank you to Alessandro, Jennifer, and Jason for trusting us with your questions. It is It is not something that we take lightly. And if you happen to be listening right now and you have something that you would really love some advice on, please just leave us a voice memo. There is a link in the show notes. But in case you're all, um, what are show notes? Well, I will just give it to you. It is sayhi.chat slash dearheadspace. You go there and you can record your question. And if we are able to use it in the show, we will be giving you three months of Headspace for free. That's awesome. And I want to remind everyone that As always, we've built into this podcast time for you to sit with all of what you just heard, time to digest all this great wisdom. And it could even just be time for you to transition into the next thing on your to-do list today. So today we're leaving you with a chorus of sounds from the jungle. And while you listen, just let your mind do whatever it wants to do. So till next time, stay happy, stay healthy. And please be kind to each other.
Dear Headspace is a Headspace Studios original podcast. It's produced by Robin Hopkins, Ash Jones, and Scott Sorensen. It's executive produced by Morgan Selzer, Sarah Cohn, Baron Farmer, and Danny Christamy. Our production coordinator is Taylor Jennings-Brown. It's hosted and produced by Robin Hopkins, Kesanga Giscombe, Dora Kamau, Samantha Snowden, Eve Lewis Prieto, and Rosie Acosta. Post-production is by Dan Kroll. Music is by Scott Sorensen and Chris Merguia. And a special thanks to Colleen Lutz.